Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly podcast to empower founders, marketers, and business professionals to brand smarter, not harder, and build impactful, memorable, and differentiated brands that stand out from the competition. So today we're joined by Gabriella Bayer-King, founder of BK Links, helping small businesses to leverage business development and lead generation and sales follow-ups to grow their business. Great to have you on the Unified Brand Podcast, Gabriella. It's good to have part two to our conversation. Could you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Oh, thank you for having me again. It's super exciting, especially as some time has elapsed and BK Link is only growing and getting more successful and being recognized, basically. So I started BK Links now about a year ago. The brainchild was basically just brewing all of last year until I finally decided, take the bull by its horns and do it. Registered the company, did all the not so fun admin things late last year. And then by January, I had my first client all about how can I use my past experience in the corporate world in sales and marketing to grow other businesses, to teach other people how to do it or to do it myself for them. Cool. And what's some of the things that from your past experiences, can you sort of elaborate on that and how you use that to best effect with your clients? Sounds wonderful. So I use even examples that I was put into of things that really show how we can think about branding and lead generation. So one of the examples I use is about emails and how a perception of an email can be different through generations. So that's why target audience might be really important before you decide to do a full campaign on email marketing, because email can be seen by some generations as super priority. Let me check it every day. And then maybe the youngest of us might think, actually, that's bottom of the barrel priority. Unless you message me on WhatsApp or Teams, I'm not looking at my email. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I totally hear that. My mom's like that. She's literally just like every email is just like, you know, religiously (laughs) going through and like having to read everything. So yeah, I totally understand. She also thinks that on random aside, but she thinks on Facebook, everything she sees in her feed is a message to her, which is quite cute, but I haven't had the heart to break it to yet. It's not, it's just people posting. But yeah, so on that side of things, what do you find businesses sort of struggle with the most? Is it sales or is it marketing that is the biggest thing they they sort of struggle with? I think it's a balance. So it's ensuring that marketing and sales are actually working together. Rather than so much as separate departments, they actually need to really talk to each other. So marketing is funneling the sale. But in order for sales to know what's going on, they still need to know and be aware of what the marketing campaign may be and how the projections of their marketing campaigns for the next year, the next five years will look like. So it's more about making those two departments talk to each other rather than like separate entities. And they will have insights for both that will be helpful. So sales might say, actually, if you use XYZ as your top highlighted things, because it's a thing that we get asked a billion times, that will help marketing. But in the same vein, marketing might say, if you guys tell us that we need to do more of this or less of that, it would also be helpful. So it's more about collaboration than people expect. I think people expect it to be almost separate. Yeah, I've been in that experience where the sales and marketing teams are kind of just, yeah, opposite and don't align very well. And it is frustrating because as a marketer, you're looking to get that feedback. 
but also from the sales perspective they're looking to have things that they can utilize in that when they're sort of talking to clients in the best way possible so i think there does need to be a breaking down of barriers and uh, aligning the two so with that in mind when it comes to working with businesses what's one of the first things that you look at what's one of the first things you do or diagnose from a company that's a great question. So I find that the discovery call is almost like counseling session for that business owner. They start with an idea of what they think they want. And then the last 10 minutes, it's like writing down a whole Bible of what they think, you know, needs to be done. And then from there is actually, you know, digesting myself, like what would be the best thing to start with? Because as business owners, we all have you know, grand ideas that by tomorrow will be 10 times the size and everything will be fixed. But, so, you know, that's going to take time. So it's kind of thinking outside of the box, listening to everything that they think is wrong or needs help and then saying, OK, I think we need to start with basic. Let's go back to very basic. What's your target audience? What are we doing here? What is marketing think they're doing? What's their voice? Do you have a marketing campaign? Sometimes the assumption is that everything should be running rather than asking the question, is it running? Or <laughs> starting from the basic, do you have a marketing team? Do you have a sales team? What do you think they should be doing? So a lot of the time I find is stripping it back rather than answering all their brainstorming questions. Cool. So from that discovery appointment, you said to me before previously that you worked with a lot of companies who maybe have a tech background or they find it hard to describe what they do. And so therefore, one of the things that you can do is present for them on their behalf and things like that one side of that is one do you still do that but two is that something that is crucial to you think in terms of businesses getting their message out there from the presentation point of view and those sort of pitches i really think that getting your voice right whatever that business has is really important and sometimes we miss that point especially if we're like I find that a lot of business owners are doers. So they're doing all the day to day. So it could be finance, it could be HR, it could be all kinds of doing, but forget what is the bigger picture? What's the voice? And how do we deliver that voice to then attract those potential clients? So I do still help them out with that, with finding, shouting out about what they do. I find that a lot of them don't really want to shine. Sometimes it's cultural. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm shy. I don't want to say it. I, why should I say that I've just got this huge contract with so-and-so? And I'm thinking, actually, the potential clients want to know who you're already working with. You know, they really want to know these things. And those people will eventually review. And then potential clients will say, it's really helpful to know X, Y, Z about that company. So it's not about being shy. And it's not either about shouting too much it's about showing what you do and making it aware for other people it's a really good point i think because yeah i think uh, it's easy sometimes to not shout enough about what you do in the right way and especially in this country we have a reserved nature sometimes to not do that and kind of hold ourselves back a bit uh, so do you have any tips in terms of for companies to do that a bit more what things they should look out for what should they share and, and also how can they be a bit more open to things like that yeah, definitely a cultural difference. Obviously, my American background, then it could be interpreted as like you're shouting too much. But there is definitely a balance. So things to think about are anything that's really big positive to you as a business. It doesn't have to be ginormously showy, but it is good idea to put it on your 
social media feeds, on your blogs, on your, because that's what people want to know. They want to know what you're doing at the current moment in time. Who are your clients? What do you help them with? So any awards, I often ask this, have you recently won any awards? Are you a part of a particular sustainability award, techie award, all these things that sometimes become like second nature. Oh yeah, well, we won an award last year at this event. Okay, so why does nobody know about it? Well, you know, do they really need to know? Yeah, they do. They would feel really impressed that you won that award and how many people, you know, you beat to win that award. And it took determination. So it's not really being selfish about it. It's saying, out of all those people, I made it happen. Yeah, definitely. That'd be cool. I think um, it's interesting you say that because there's been a, a few companies I've seen that have actually, when they talk about the awards they've won, the sort of outpouring of kind of celebration from people they know, but also just people they've just come into contact with through the platform, you know, things like that. It's amazing to see. And it does raise your profile. When you're working with clients, what areas do you focus on the most? So I'd say the first question is the marketing side, for sure. So, you know, the branding side, their voice, how they're pitching it. And then from there, we'll walk into sales to see if they need assistance with the actual booking the appointments, closing the deals. Is it an event situation like on-site event? Is it networking? So I'll look at the whole picture from their marketing. Are they doing anything in marketing? Sometimes it's as basic as, no, we don't do any marketing. We just do word of mouth. And then understanding where this come from. Is it a fear of technology? Is it that they've never had to, but now they're faced with a situation where they would like to grow exponentially rather than just wait for the word of mouth. So I'll look at a bigger picture to then be able to give them a strategic plan on whether they want me to do it. So some companies will say, can we outsource the social media strategy to you? And I'd say, okay, so this would mean how many hours, et cetera. Like, do you want me to content create? Or sometimes it'll be, I want you to do the sales pitch at an event. So can we send you to the NEC and you do the sales side of it? Cool. So when it comes to the business development side, you mentioned before, and also the events, how do you approach events when you're doing that on behalf of a company? What are some of the things that you do that you look to achieve? And how do you get yourself ready for it? And is there a slightly different approach you take with that from say an event from a, an actual pitch or a presentation that might be an in-house thing? Yeah, that's a very good question. So yes, on-site events. So for example, if it's a London Excel event or NEC, it tends to be two or three days. So energy-wise, a big output because I will become that particular brand, whatever that brand may be, I will become them. I won't be BK Links anymore. I'll be whatever they need me to be. So the output of that event, the energy that I will expense is a lot. I'm not going to lie. It's, it can be very difficult. But at the same time, that's probably when I shine my brightest because people get to interact with me directly. So the prep that goes behind it is I really need to understand your brand and what you're about and be able to answer any questions as if I was a full-time employee. But as well, I need to be polished on all the questions, top 10 questions that potential clients ask. What are their industries? What are the difficulties they face? You know, I need to be as versed as anyone in your business. So it takes a little bit of time to speak to different people. So not just a business owner, speak to marketing, speak to sales, kind of get a really good feel of what the business is all about to then be able to go on site and basically become them. For me, it's really 
rewarding because I see it myself. I see the sale come through with my own two eyes. So it's a bit different than sitting, you know, on the marketing side or sitting on a meeting, a virtual meeting like this. It's very different to getting that interaction face to face. Yeah. So when you approach that, when you do the actual pitching itself, do you actually get up on stage and do a pitch for them? Are you interacting from a stand or is it a bit of both? And when you say about the sales side of things, is there a way that you prepare for those events for the selling side and the business development? Yeah. So I try not to work too hard the few days before. So I actually try to get there early to meet this team face to face, because a lot of the times I haven't met them in real life. I've met them digitally. But it is very different to get that feel, that chemistry. So I'll probably get there a day or two earlier, really get a few more meetings in, as much information as I can get. Um, even if I see a few potential clients to get me those questions, those hard questions, just to get that brain trained. As for whether I would do speaking opportunities, yeah. So I would do the pitch if the branding would prefer me to do it. And as we said, I find that techie businesses will prefer me to do it because of my personality and how I come across on, you know, on a stage rather than have their own techie team. So what I tend to say is if it's super technical, let's double up and buddy up. So that way, if a question comes in that is technical and maybe requires particular expertise, so I don't know, materials manufacturing or something very particular, let's have someone that can explain that. But in the general terms, I'll probably be able to handle 99.9% .9 of the questions. But if it's technical, have someone that I can, you know, grab and say, hey, this question probably is best to be answered by an expert. I can deal with all the other ones. Yeah, I like the idea of buddying up. I think that's really cool. So you kind of got, like you said, that technical fallback if you need to, which I think is really cool. What's been the biggest challenge you've had with regards to either working with the business or just in business in general? What are some of the things that you've come across? I'd say I'm surprised about expectations and how different one business to another can be. Because as an employee, you only have potentially your manager's expectations. And it tends to be that it's very cultural within the same organization. It kind of seems to stay the same. But as a business owner in BK Links, I can see that from one business, it doesn't really matter size or dynamic, everyone has a different expectation. And it's about me taking charge of what is the setting it out myself, saying it, voicing it and expressing it to understand what they think is priority versus a lesser priority. My personality tends to be uh, very much a doer. So if, if in a meeting, a billion things came up in that to-do list. I am going to try to finish that billion list, even though it's impossible. But if I have the expectations from the business to say, actually focus on the top 10, because I really need these reports done this month, then it's much easier for me to say, okay, I have a billion things, but they really want the top 10 first. So I find that's really interesting. Everyone has a different perception of speed and expectation. Are you struggling to grow your brand, but not sure why? Has your business hit a growth ceiling or is your marketing failing to land with your target audience? At Elements Brand Management, we've put together a four minute brand power assessment that will score your brand in a percentage out of 100 and highlight the key areas that are holding your business back. Visit brandpowerscore.co.uk today, take the assessment and unlock your business's full potential.
So like with marketing, what's your kind of go-to when it comes to marketing? What areas do you prefer to work in? What things do you like to get your teeth into? I probably really like LinkedIn. It's the main feature I use for my lead generation for BK Links. So I like to think that most of my clients at least have an account uh, <laughs> that they use it. So I really like that side of business. It's a good combination between social media showing off about a little bit about your personal life, but enough about what the business is doing that it can create leads. So I really like seeing how people develop their LinkedIn um, skills in marketing. Cool. Yeah. And have you got any tips for anyone that's listening who wants to like level up their sort of their marketing side of things, especially through social content? Definitely. Top, top, top tip is consistency. And I know we're all strapped for time. It doesn't have to be daily. Don't be scared. Let's think about more about that content and being consistent. So if it's once a week that you only have time for, do it once a week, but every week, not just the month of October. And then by November, you just, you know, decided it's too much. That's top, top. And then the second one is about really being thinking about that one post as a building a community, building an engagement. So when you post something, even if it's about your business, make sure you reply to people who have said something about your post or liked your post or comment on other people who have similar interests. Algorithms, just like human beings, like to see the engagement. So other potential clients will like to see, oh, so-and-so likes this, but they also like that. The algorithm does too. So you're only boosting it by just you know, spending an extra five minutes to reply to all those messages or like other people's stuff. Yeah, that's something I've noticed uh, from yourself that I really admire. And I also, it's taught me a lot with regards to one, the way that, the way that you respond. So I, I know that obviously responding and engaging has been good, but the way that you respond always feels personal. And also when you send emails, there's always a personal touch. So obviously we know that we both like Star Wars. And I know that if, we, if I get a message from yourself, you're going to ask me about the Star Wars side of things. And I always think that's really cool. And it always makes me feel like it's a personalized message that you've thought a bit more about the message before you sent it, which is really nice. So do you have any tips with regards to that? And, and is that just something that you always do? Is it a tenet that you kind of live by that personalization side of things? I think from our generation all the way to the little ones, they like everything personalized. And the more we can create that, the better. I'm naturally looking at points where we can connect. And those are the things that remember us from each other and you know set us apart. So things like, I know you like Star Wars and I love Star Wars. So things like that, bringing that up in conversation, not only cements our business relationship, but then when we see each other on social media, we know what to talk about. So I feel it's important to try and find those connections in any way we can. I find it, find it very easy because I'm always curious. But even if you're not curious, even if you want a person who kind of waits for information to be delivered to you, post something that you are interested in. It could be climate change. It could be something in politics. It could be something in pop culture. It doesn't have to be um, very deep. And then you'll start noticing that actually you're not alone in what you like. You know, if, if you like dogs, if you like cats, whatever it may be, there is going to be someone out there who likes it. And then just make sure that when you message them, bring that up. Say how their cat is doing, how their dog is doing. Yeah, it's amazing as well. As soon as you start talking about something that you have in connection with somebody, how the dynamic of the conversation just changes. It's amazing. Like, uh, yeah, I had a conversation 
before this one in a meeting and we were talking about, about football and things like that and it just kind of sparked off a conversation. Um, but I know always when I talk to yourself and we talk about things like Star Wars, it always does a similar thing. So from your perspective, if you could give the listeners, say, three things to think about today that would really help them with their business development, what would you say? I'd say think of your social media strategy. Um, don't get scared about making sure it's perfect and doing all the platforms at once. Stick to what you know, try it, consistency, and make it personal. As long as it's about what you like and then making a connection with someone else, it'll be super successful and people will remember that. So that will be the start of your business development. It's funny how people will then come back and say, oh, you mentioned this and that, and then a conversation about business starts. It makes it easier to then, then go into contract and money and things like that, having a bond already, building that trust first. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a, I had something the other day about meetings and how you remember or any sort of interaction. You remember the of an experience, you remember the peak and the end. So you remember the peak, whether it's good or bad, you remember that and you remember the end of the experience. So I always think towards the end of any experience, I always try and have a bit of lighthearted conversation, a bit of humor, a bit of that kind of thing, because it always leaves it on a better note, which means people, when they remember that experience, they remember it as being positive. So I always think of doing something like that, which is why it always helps to have that personalization side of things when you have those conversations. Because I think you're right, you kind of, you connect on something more than business and then business becomes easier. And at the end of the day, the businesses are what we make it. And so they're already gonna have our personality. They're already gonna have our likes and dislikes. So might as well explore them and with other business relationships. It just might make it so much easier to then build contracts and things like that and talk about the things that might feel uncomfortable when you already made a bond and a trust it's already been built. What's one brand that you've seen? It can be like a, um, you know, a brand that's out there in the world, or it can be some you've worked with as well. It could be a client, whatever it is. But what's a brand that you've seen that does a really good job of developing their business through that kind of aligned sales and marketing? Well, that's a really good question. I'd say a client that I've spoken to a few times, and now you know they're spreading their wings. Dartmoor Tea Company. Don't know if you've heard of them. They're tiny, tiny. They're micro. She's extremely good at imagery. Her ability to take pictures and create content is impressive. And he is very much the business side of things. And it's all about putting their two heads together and understanding how are they going to bring this tea to market? As I said, they're very micro. So they're starting with the tea is still growing and we're still thinking about future growth. But even from the last few chats, they can understand that it's not only about tea. It's about showing how special their tea is, what makes it special, sharing that with the world. If it is imagery, if that's all they want to do, then that's perfect because their Instagram posts are gorgeous. And it's very luxurious. So they know that that's where they want to go. And I just find that fascinating when they started to kind of really think about this as a product and where would they want to go? And if ideally in five years time, which store do you want to sell it at? And it's really set out that brainstorm of, okay, I think I know what my voice might be or how we should do it and how we should go and understanding that it might change. Like in two years time, it might be something a little bit different, but allowing it to that flexibility to grow. I find that lovely. So anyone who wants to have a look at them, have a look. As I said, they're very baby, but they're growing so nicely. It's great to see a brand who had no idea 
to then starting their blossoming career. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check those out. And um, yeah, it sounds awesome. I love seeing something like that where you see a brand just kind of being authentic, being kind of, but like you said, growing, developing themselves, developing their voice, who they are kind of, and then having that confidence in it, that sort of confidence and the pride in, in what they're trying to achieve. And yeah, trying to achieve Nobody needs to be, you know, Coca-Cola tomorrow. Like they didn't make it in a day. <laughs> I think yes. they started in the 50s or whatever. So even when we're thinking of our own little businesses, it's going to take time. It's going to take, you know, a little bit of testing on what works and what doesn't work. And we need to be flexible with it. 100%. Yeah, definitely. And it's amazing how things adapt and change and you learn as you grow. And, you know, the market changes, the interaction with your audience changes. You know, maybe the market matures a little bit and they have different ideas about what they want and that kind of thing. It's, uh, yeah, and that's always quite exciting. If you think of it as a journey rather than this kind of like, I need to get to this place, it's actually quite a, a fun thing when you think of it like that. I think it's very much like human beings. You know, we grow and we change our perception. We might have thought at one time our favorite food was cheeseburgers when we were kids and now it's, I don't know, sushi. So in the same vein, the business grows and changes and its perspective changes. So if we're changing, it's only natural that the business vision will change as well. Yeah, and it's funny how you got my exact progression. I went from cheeseburgers <laughs> to sushi, so that's kind of like... <laughs> That was I love like, sushi. <laughs> oh, I love sushi too. Yeah, I could eat tons of the stuff. Awesome. It never seems to be enough, though. No, no. That's <laughs> I it. know it's rice, but I don't know what they're doing with the rice because it seems like I can eat a lot more rice in a sushi roll than in a bowl. Yeah, definitely. No, it's awesome. Yeah. So from that, what's next for uh, yourself and BK Link? Oh, that's a great question. I think I feel like the more I learn or the more I develop with other businesses the more I then grow the things I can offer to businesses. Because it's only when other people say, oh, would you be able to help with? And then I think, actually, yeah, I, I know how to do that. So one of my clients recently said, your tenacity would be great for debt collection. I said, really? I've never thought about that. He said, well, yeah, you're like a Rottweiler. You never let them go. And I thought, yeah, I don't have any problem asking for money. <laughs> especially if they owe the money. I just don't see that as a big deal. So I think as I personally grow and I understand that I have skills in other areas, I can ensure I can offer that as part of the BK Links. Also looking at growing BK Links myself. So I'm starting to look at teams and how would I hire people? Would I hire full-time, part-time, contractors and all these kinds of questions that every other business has to deal with anyway. So the more I learn whilst I'm doing it myself or BK Links, then I can then show my experience to other businesses who are who might be looking for that kind of um, expertise. What's your ultimate goal? I'd love to have a team of people doing all kinds of consulting for different sides of the business. I really live for people. So I get energized when I'm working with people. I get I learned so much from other people, you know, different generations, different visions, different ways of working. So it, it would be great to think, I don't know, five, 10 years time, it's a group of people in BK Links and we're all doing different things and helping different clients. And I get to see all kinds of industries being helped. Yeah, that'd be cool, definitely. So what's, what's one thing that drives you mad about your industry? There's one thing that I find a bit strange about just consulting, period. A C problem telling us how much something costs. 
or you know the expensive things the fuel that we put pump in our car is not like a hidden cost it's not like you get to the cashier and it's like surprise a hundred pounds <laughs> so i just find that really weird that we have this perception of we want really good quality x but we don't want to tell anyone how much it costs so that's frustrating because when people come to us they come asking for our expertise whatever that business may be whatever we're doing and they have a perception of how much things cost if they can find it easily is better because by the time you have that pitch they will know what it costs but if you know if for whatever reason it's determinant on different factors at least having a starting point is a good idea but yeah i find that really bizarre why are we all hiding prices when the fuel is definitely not hidden and i feel very annoyed every time i pay yeah, I think, I think again, I think it's, that might be another UK thing, I think, as well. I think it's a bit, a bit cultural, like, we yeah. don't want to say how much it is because, you know, maybe we're worried about it. We don't want to offend people. It's not an offense. They're looking for our expertise, so there's a price to it, whatever that may be. And they can afford it or they cannot. I, I don't even think there's an offense on that side. Like, we're not offending them because they can't afford it. They can or they cannot. Yeah, and that's it. It is also down to the kind of what, what they value and like that kind of level of value and, you know, the difference between, say, like a Mercedes and Ford Focus or whatever it is, the kind of difference between those and what you can afford. And also then it helps you to qualify quicker, qualify faster and also not waste either of your time if you can kind of right. get it out, out in the open it, quicker. It, it's as much my time as in BK Link's time as in their client's time. If they can't pay for whatever reason, it might have nothing to do with my business and the way I run it or my cost. It could be that they need X, Y, Z at whatever price. They already have that set. Okay, that's fine. It might be realistic or it might not. There is no problem on just saying, you know, we're parting ways, but maybe in the future we'll cross roads again. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Yeah, you've always got the future and that's it. You start off that conversation, that relationship, you never know where it's going to lead. No, you never know. It could be that, you know, a few months down the line, they say, actually, we really appreciated what you said. And actually, it helped us to then think really what we needed it. And then we're coming back because we actually need what you said we needed. So yeah, I find that really strange and frustrating, but it might be cultural, which makes it a little bit harder to break that stereotype. And I just let my clients know it's not a big deal. Everything has a cost. It costs what it costs, then people can pay it or they cannot. And then we can decide, of course, you can then decide if that's not the right pricing for you. That's a different story, but we shouldn't be scared of it <laughs> yeah i think that's a really good point i think it's interesting as well because you can even put a bracket of figure can't you as long as of it's course. some kind of figure that's a ballpark that can give that across i think that's a yeah it's even a really good point. i always say think about it as an end user if we wanted to go to a restaurant let's say it's a michelin star restaurant we really want to because it's our wedding anniversary and then you go onto the website and the menu has no price what do you think as a consumer do you do with that? You're like, that probably means I can't afford it. So I'm not going. I'm not even going to attempt to make a reservation because I'm scared of what's going to happen when they give me the bill. But if it said main start at X, then you're like, well, can I afford even if it's my wedding anniversary? Can I afford that? And it might be that I can or they might be that I cannot. And then that's fine. But if you have no point of reference, it's almost worse. Yeah. Definitely. There was a really interesting conversation I had with uh, somebody on the podcast recently and they were talking about pricing and it just reminded me then there was a restaurant and it had in the in the restaurant they sold a grilled sandwich, grilled cheese sandwich. It's in New York, I think. Okay. And it was like, I think the sandwich itself was something like $200 for the okay. grilled cheese sandwich. But then what it did was it made everything else in that 
restaurant that was like $30 or $20, it makes it in relation to it, the price anchoring makes it seem like it's like a good deal. So you kind of like have this price anchoring side of things. It's just quite interesting with price, how you can, depending on what the top end is, what that actually does psychologically to then the rest of the prices you have. And if you have a bracket, it does a city can do a similar thing in terms of what you value and what you perceive. Right. And I guess they were playing around with a pricing idea um, at that point. I like real sandwiches. I don't know about $200 worth of it, but... <laughs> they had a $1,000 um, Sunday as well at this place, apparently. But I think as well, it's kind of the fact is it's a bit of a sort of a marketing ploy in terms of like, right. you know, some people will have it and they'll, they'll Instagram it or whatever. Some people won't. But the fact that you go and eat at the place that has the thousand dollar Sunday, whether you have it or not, is a status yeah. thing. And Exactly. Yeah. And it might just be that it might be a ploy to get people in and to get, have a chat about it, which is fine. You know, like, that's great. They're, obviously, it's working because we're all talking about it. I've um, never seen it and I'm talking about it. Exactly. So, and yeah. they haven't hidden the prices. They right. haven't just like scratched off the thousand dollars and like pretend that it doesn't exist they've actually said come on over and have this outrageously expensive sunday <laughs> and someone says yes <laughs> and that's kind of the point it's like it much better to put something in than nothing yeah yeah because you imagine getting to the end of that checkout and then finding out it's a thousand dollars for sunday you'd be a little bit annoyed yeah that's when you take out two credit cards and wonder was that worth it? <laughs> yeah, it'd have to be a really good Sunday, wouldn't it, to be fair? I thought they had to have like something that is actually worth it, like golden... I think they, they have, have gold, gold leaf. leaf. Yeah, yeah, I think there's something like that in it or something. Or yeah. truffle. I don't know what's expensive in food, but... Because what does that even taste like? What does gold leaf taste like? Probably paper. Yeah, it's not great. It's not a great experience, I think. <laughs> so they just put, you know, it's like, well, you can eat diamonds. Yeah, does anyone actually want to eat a diamond? Like, no, I want to wear it. But again, it doesn't really matter what the value is as long as we put it on and we don't just hide from it. Mm, really good point. So where can people find out a little bit more about yourself, what you do and uh, the company? Perfect. I'm mostly on LinkedIn. Of course, I have the other means of communicating like Instagram and email and phone and WhatsApp. But most people find me on LinkedIn because it's where I do majority of my networking. So feel free to come and check me out on LinkedIn and send me a message, add a connection. Don't be shy. I am not one of those people that will not allow a connection unless I really, 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 really know you. No. If you're interested in what I do, I'm happy to share it. So feel free to connect. Cool. And I'll put all the links in the show notes. It's been awesome having you on. And uh, yeah, it'd be great to do it again. And if anyone touches base with Gabriella, then Star Wars is a good conversation to have. Yes, please do. Or cats. I love cats too. What else do I love? Disney in general. I do find it fascinating. Oh, another big one is Lego. I absolutely love Lego. And the reason I thought of a Lego is because I just got a new... Um, set and it's a Disney Lego set so that's another big one cool well yeah I'll put the links in the show notes and uh, yeah we'll do it again sometime sounds good don't forget to subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode of the Unified Brand Podcast and if you could rate and review wherever you get your podcast that would be highly appreciated if you want to continue your brand development journey head over to Elements Brand Management on YouTube there's a link in the show notes below where you'll see clips from the podcast brand building tips deep dives and more So thank you for listening and remember, keep those brands unified.